Welcome to this week's episode where I interview Tony DeCopel. Tony is co-host of CBS Mornings, so you may be used to seeing him as part of your morning wake-up routine. He also anchors The Uplift on the CBS News Streaming Network, a weekly show that spotlights good news stories that uplift and inspire. He's led an illustrious journalistic career covering major stories across America. And in this episode, we go deep into Tony's story. We explore the formative moments that shaped the unfolding of his life and career. We touch on adversities he faced at a young age that opened him to deeper levels of empathy and really the ability to connect with people from all different backgrounds, certainly a skill that's hugely useful in his career. You'll get to hear what's in Tony's heart about the future, and he even shares one of the unique ways he finds inspiration. Now, this was an especially fun show for me because Tony and I grew up together and knew each other at a different phase of life from middle school all the way through high school. It's really been fun to watch his journey unfold from afar on social media, and I just love seeing people shine in their own right using their gifts in an impactful way to serve the world. And Tony is certainly doing just that. Now, when I reached out to Tony to ask him to be a guest, I was a little nervous, I must admit, because it'd been a long time since we talked, but it was an immediate yes from him. And I'm so grateful he agreed because this is an episode you don't want to miss. And it all starts now. I'm Kara, and welcome to Soul Inspiring Business. I believe that all of us possess unique gifts and talents that allow us to serve the world and our own growth in the highest possible way. Our lives are an expression of our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. And here, we will explore businesses, thought leaders, and topics designed to inspire, helping propel your own growth so you can live your best and most purposeful life. Welcome to Soul Inspiring Business. This show is a special treat today because we have a special guest, a celebrity appearance with Tony DeCopel. Uh, welcome, Tony. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, well, thank you very much. If I count as a celebrity in your world, uh, let me tell you about something called uh, cable and Netflix. There's a lot of movies out maybe you haven't seen, so I don't think I'm a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are in my book, and I thank think you. that- I appreciate it, Kara. We were, we were talking just before starting to record. And for our listeners, Tony and I went to middle school and high school together. So we go way back to our Savannah Park do. days. Go Falcons. You go Falcons. I hear they <laughs> knocked down the old school. I haven't been back. Have you seen the new Savannah Park High School? Actually, I, I just for the first time since high school went back to Rock and Roll Revival. Uh, wow. The big show. Yeah. So we, I went back with a few high school friends and we saw the show and it was actually very cool to see it. And I saw, you know, when, when I was back in there, you know, rock and roll revival in the day. So anyway, it was the first yeah. time I'd been back. It was very cool to see, but very weird at the same time. Yeah, I bet. I have not had the courage to return. I will, I guess someday. I have a feeling I'll be hit with a real heavy dose of nostalgia though. Yeah, no, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I have good <laughs> memories. I have good memories, but like, the, I'm definitely as I get older. I'm 41 now. I, I imagine you're in the same neighborhood since we graduated the same year. Um, yeah, 
there is something about the uh, this time in life when you start to measure where you came from and where you're going. Yeah, no, it's it's always kind of special to return and a lot of nostalgia for sure. You know, walking to, well, although they weren't really our halls, right? It's totally new halls because it's a totally, totally new school, new. right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so this is really special to have you here. Uh, we were talking a little bit, you know, before the show, and I, I was telling you how just really awesome it is, and it's true to see you know, we experienced a phase of life together and to really watch you grow into your own, to really use your unique gifts and talents in a way that is really impacting the world and other people and, and touching people in a unique way. And um, it's it's cool to see somebody that you knew back then really succeed in a really big way. And of course, you've got a beautiful family and and all of those things. And so just congratulations on all the success. So it's Thank cool. You. And Thank I you, think, Kara. yes, of course. Well, and, and, you know, I think sometimes when we look at where you are now, right, it's easy to see, wow, like, look at what you've been able to create, but there's always pieces along the way and events in our lives or things that things that really shape the trajectory of our life. And maybe if we made a different choice or something happened differently, you know, our lives could have unfolded in a different way. So I'm curious for you, you know, what would those top three things be? You know, those top three monumental things in your life Mm -hmm. that have kind of shaped who you are and where you are today. Uh, I think the first thing, and I, I would preface the first thing by saying that people for some reason look at me and think that I am, as one person put it recently, the son of a senator. And I am definitely not. Um, my father was a major drug dealer, uh, marijuana exclusively. It was a matter of principle. But this was not a one-time thing. This was a career. This was something he and my mom and my uncle and my stepfather, everybody involved in the family, really, with some exceptions, um, was somehow involved in a 15-year business. Uh, And the first defining moment, I would say, is when the business fell apart. Um, And my father was arrested by federal marshals uh, on Miami Beach. Uh, it was, uh, 1991 and, uh, it was for selling 17 tons of marijuana, wow. Wow. which I will assume no knowledge on the part of anyone else out there in marijuana land. But, uh, that's, uh, if you clean the, the marijuana, which is, was, uh, there were no stems, no, uh, seeds, uh, no twigs. This was, uh, all usable marijuana one gram per uh, per joint, you figure. It was enough joints at the time, enough marijuana to roll a joint for everybody of college age uh, in America. In uh, It was actually, the job was 86, but he was arrested in 91. So in 1986, enough marijuana for everybody in America uh, in college. Wow. It's a big amount. Um, yeah. And he, he went to jail uh, and it moved me out of Florida because my stepfather uh, became a cooperating witness uh, and we left Florida under cover of darkness, didn't tell my family where we were going, my, my grandmother and my cousins uh, who were not involved. Um, and we went to Maryland, which is how I ended up at Sermona Park High School. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on the Chesapeake and the Chesapeake was an area of the, um, 
of the country where uh, my father and his partners could make marijuana drops. So they knew that area for that reason. Um, you could bring a sailboat in, offload it. This was Colombian marijuana. Uh, it, this is like way before the days of people growing it in basements and in closets and in these big indoor greenhouses. So that was a, a, a big change for me because it, it, it wrenched my life from one uh, beautiful, sunshine-filled, wealthy existence in South Florida to one where my mom had three jobs uh, and we lived in a house where, unlike a lot of other our classmates, you know, I couldn't have people over, never had sleepovers. No one came to my house after school. We weren't having sleepovers. It was a perfectly fine existence, but it just mm -hmm. wasn't um, a comfortable existence. Uh, and I don't know if you remember this, but in our in our little world of Severna Park, my nickname in high school was Poor Boy. That was what like Scott and Jared and John Oh, King, no way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know Chris that Loman, actually. Chris Loman, huh. Yeah, that was like the, because compared to them, I was compared to, you know, the standards of, 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 uh, of that world. Sure. Um, so that was, that, that gave me a kind of double vision that's been useful for my whole life. I would say the second defining moment was. And just real fast, sorry. I, it's yeah. so interesting too, how, because obviously we knew each other in, in growing up, but I never knew that. I mean, did you ever talk about that with anybody at the time? I'm just curious. Cause I never knew uh, that until I actually saw your book that, you know, you yeah. wrote about that experience. Oh, so I didn't. So I, I knew that we had uh, a suspicious um, departure from Florida, but I didn't know the extent to which my parents were in the drug trade. Uh, and I didn't really discover that until I became a journalist. Uh, you could call this another defining moment, but I I became a journalist and I decided to do a records lookup in the National Archives, um, which anyone can do. Uh, we're all taxpayers. It's a public resource. But the National Archives only keep the what they consider to be the most important 2% of paperwork produced by the federal government. And my father's drug case was considered among those important papers. So they kept, um, they had a record of his federal uh, indictment, uh, all the evidence, uh, the evidence against his partners. Uh, and when I got the indictment from the official who was uh, nice enough to look it up, I was like, just my whole world inverted again, because I, I thought my father had dabbled in that kind of business, but that he had a regular job. He didn't, this was the whole trade. Wow. Um, yeah. All I knew is that the reality was when we got to Maryland, suddenly I wasn't going to private school. Suddenly we didn't have a Mercedes. Suddenly we didn't have a boat. <laughs> suddenly we didn't go on fancy vacations. Uh, we weren't in nice restaurants. I didn't have a bunch of toys under the tree uh, in Christmas. Uh, and mm -hmm. we were in a, in a very modest home. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and my, my stepfather, uh, had to go back to his roots. We had a, um, he bought a yellow flatbed pickup truck and we were, it was called Paul's hauling. And I was like a guy picking it. It was literally a trash truck. Uh, we would, we would go to job sites and we would pick up construction trash. Wow. Um, and, and so that's where kind of the nickname came from. Uh, mm -hmm. and it was like, a, it was a mortifying thing to do on the weekend where other people were driving around and like you know, uh, their parents Ford Explorer. And I was in the, in the cab of a canary yellow, very old, uh, flatbed truck with these slatted slides and filled with construction trash. Um, right. but I'd say the second defining moment would be when I realized that I wasn't just, uh, good at baseball. I was 
really good. It gave me, it gave my life kind of shape baseball did. And it gave me something that was, it was a, it was an advantage. It was a, you know, if I'd been disadvantaged in other ways, my parents had made these choices. I don't think anyone would call them great choices on my dad's side for, for kids. Um, uh, so if you're disadvantaged in that, in that way, it was a great advantage to discover that like, oh, you have some talent in something. And, and so I became really committed to developing it. And because I remembered, I felt this sense of loss from like having a lot to not having a lot. I really mm. worked hard and I was able to get a scholarship. So that would be a second defining moment. Absolutely. Getting a college yeah. baseball scholarship. Um, and then I at think GW, right? I mean, at, at GW, GW yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, incredible. Very, one of the most expensive schools in the country. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, super so, from poor boy to, 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 to uh, like, yeah, to scholarship kid at the rich college. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, it was a big change. Um, mm. And then I think, I think parenthood would be another defining moment. Uh, I had, uh, I have four children. I had two kids in my twenties, uh, uh, with my first wife and, um, and becoming a father is, is another kind of added vision one has. Um, it, it forever, it puts you in touch with not just your immediate future, but the sense of the, the, the future beyond, you, you know, you're now interested not only in yourself, but in generations and it also gives you a new imaginative capacity to think about um the past and who your parents were and what they were trying to do and what their parents were trying to do and why they were why they were the way they were uh plus it teaches you about love you don't know what love is really until you have kids it's true there is something to that um you can have a rich and fulfilling life without having children but once you do have them it, it is a it is a rubicon you cross something you experience something yeah. Um, and I think all those, I think those three moments have contributed to me having this life that I could not have imagined, but now it makes perfect sense uh, as a journalist where you get to experience a big range of other people's experiences and then try to translate them in a way that connects one person to another or one person, hopefully to a lot of people. Right. Well, and it's interesting too, that, that, you know, your family, um, and like that experience of going from these two extremes probably also helps you, as you mentioned, like develop so much more empathy for others mm -hmm. and in being able to connect and and dive into their stories, you know, in a in a more meaningful way, I guess, because you've you've lived these like different lives and very awesome. so i i've done reporting in every country or every state in the country and uh, i've talked to people at all echelons all religions races ethnicities socioeconomic status it's been a lot of the range of experience has really been something i'm grateful to have had but what i what i've found is no matter who i'm talking to there's something in my background because it involves multiple states because it involves this big swing in in, uh, in, in how much money we had, because it involves a lot of different jobs, uh, because it involves the criminal justice system, because it involves drug laws, because it involves sports. I, I have something very particular in my background that I can call out that will connect me to almost anybody. Um, mm -hmm. And it's been really helpful. Uh, and also a reminder that like, just we all really have those connections. Maybe other people have to work a little bit harder, but they're there. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And 
you know, before we started talking and, and I was, we were just kind of talking about like, I know I was a little bit shy in high school and now, you know, I'm doing a podcast and of course you're like, you know, broadcast journalism on TV every day. But my recollection, it was funny was that, you know, you were a little bit more shy or reserved in high school. So it's neat to see how you've kind of come out and, um, and using your gifts in this way, right? So how, what was it about journalism? Like what attracted you to journalism or how did you, did you ever see yourself on a, on a morning show or on TV? No, I mean, I'm really curious. Yeah. So I was never, I did not dream about of broadcast journalism. Uh, I, I didn't dream of morning show television. Uh, I, in my twenties became very interested in writing. Uh, and I was, you know, I was going through like a moody early twenties period. I'm probably clinically depressed. I, and, and I was, uh, kind of going, doing this like brooding writer thing where I was going to, I don't know, turn all these big feelings I was having into great works of, of fiction. Uh, and I, I tried it. I wrote for a bit. I wasn't having much success. Um, and then I, a friend of mine in my first uh, job, which was at a, a PR firm. Um, she introduced me to some narrative nonfiction, some journalists who write with story. And it was the first time I realized that, that was even a job. And so I became interested in magazine writing, uh, nonfiction books, uh, and then went back to school, uh, no scholarship this time, uh, to Columbia to learn the kind of cultural history of America and also try to write. And that's when I got an internship at the old Newsweek, which used to be, I mean, ask your parents, uh, like it was a thing. Uh, This was 2005 when I got the 2006, when I got the internship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like it, it was still had two and a half million subscribers and won the national magazine award and was making a ton of money and, the connection, the history between the 2006 Newsweek and the Newsweek that put Bruce Springsteen on the cover or marijuana legalization on the cover in the 70s or Madonna in the 80s or covered the cocaine epidemic or who, uh, you know, that was a, the, the, uh, the uh, armchair reading material in so many homes for so many years. Like that, that was still there. Mm. Um, and, and so I, I started doing narrative nonfiction writing for that magazine. I was a staff writer. I became a senior writer. I did cover stories. Tina Brown took over one of the most famous uh, magazine editors of the 20th century. Uh, She gave me a long, long leash to go do amazing stories. Some of those stories became television. And Mm -hmm. then when print collapsed, uh, I was like, well, what do I really want to do here? Uh, I needed money because I didn't have family money uh, mm-hmm. and I had kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to television and I was like, you guys have made television out of my work. Maybe you should hire me. And they did as a writer first at NBC and then streaming became a thing. And so they were like just throwing anybody on camera. And literally at that point, it becomes a superficial matter of some producer, like you got great hair and you're like kind of in shape and you seem like you might be a TV looking person. It's a shallow mm. business on some level. Um, oh, and, and so I started getting opportunities. And then what, what really made it work is because, uh, well, I'll tell you, I'll take, can I tell you the like very shallow TV story? First sure, I love it. Yeah. Part? So 
So when I, I started doing streaming appearances and video appearances on uh, the NBC and MSNBC websites. And then I started getting chances to go out uh, for MSNBC in the traditional cable capacity. But I was still on a regular writer's contract. It was not a lucrative situation at all. And uh, nobody was giving me a proper contract. MSNBC didn't want to make it official. We were essentially mm-hmm. dating. They weren't going to marry me. And um, <laughs> uh, no other company out there in TV land was interested. And then uh, my girlfriend at the time, this is 2015, now wife, uh, who is Katie Turr, is already on TV. His parents were in the TV business, like knows TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she called me when I was reporting from the border in Arizona. And she said, stop, take off all of the stuff you wear in your world as as a writer, like stop wearing a jacket, uh, like stop wearing your glasses, do a hundred pushups and wear a black t-shirt and see how that goes. And I was like, (laughs) all right, fine. So I basically did. That's hilarious. So I basically did, I, I, I did, did my best to remind people that I once played a college sport. I pushed my hair up really high. I wore a black t-shirt like, like I'm a collegiate Cooper. athlete, you know, <laughs> I was like, I used to be in shape. Like right. I really, you know, I was all state. Uh, and right. then, so I, I, I did, I showed up, I go to the border in Arizona. I do the story and ABC news calls literally that day. Uh, like they get an email, like after the, after that shoot, I get the email from ABC. They want to have a conversation about make about, about a job. Uh, and then which maybe look in, in, in defense of ABC news, like maybe right. they loved the reporting. Maybe they'd been following me for a while. Maybe it had sure. nothing to do. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but, but once I had that, uh, then NBC was suddenly like, Oh, we want to, and then, and then it became like, it's like, nobody wants you. And then they want you. Mm. But the, the reason that I was able to actually do something once I got an opportunity for the most superficial reasons you can think of, is because I had the actual journalism background to report really well, write really well, figure out what a story is, make people comfortable, translate complicated information, like all the qualities that, that are the bedrock of, of journalism. Um, and, then, and then once I got into the TV world, I realized I actually like it more than the print world. Mm. And print people are like so stuck up about how smart they are and how they're like the... the um, they're the real classy wing of journalism. And I, I just like to remind people that you're a secondary medium. The original medium is what we have right now. It's the human voice. Sure. Writing is a replacement for conversation. Writing is a replacement for the campfire story. And, and I realized once that clicked for me, there was no turning back. Like TV is a little narrative nonfiction play you put on every day. It's the world. It's the original medium, uh, and I love it so much. So it, it's been fortunate in that way, uh, yeah. the journey that we were on, yeah. Well, and it's cool that, you know, again, as you mentioned, sometimes you don't know why you were pulled or put in different situations until you're in where you are now, and now you can see the bigger lesson. You're like, oh, wait, yeah, like that's why I was doing this writing because it helped prepare me in a better way to now do totally. be doing what I am now. So I love so like, I, the trajectory, re- you know? I remember I remain I remain shy. I identify as a shy person, whether or not I, I appear to be one on TV or not. Like I'm not naturally uh, a, a, not someone who dreamed of this position. It's a position that 
I, it turns out I, I love, uh, but I didn't expect to love. And that I, the, the, the appearing on TV part is like the thing I have to overcome in order mm. to do the part I like, which is meeting all these people, going to all these places. And then I'm still like kind of a word geek in that I love playing around with a script to make it feel as natural and clear and also when appropriate emotional as possible. Um, mm. Like I love that. I love making it work. It's like the storytelling part of you that comes out yes. in that way. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, with all of that, um, you know, I think I was reading that according to the National Science Foundation that we, the average person thinks 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day and 85% of those are negative. 95% are repetitive, but it's, fascinating that like we, the stories we tell ourselves on a daily basis in our mind, right. is almost, we're just wired almost for negativity. Right. So what are any negative thoughts that you've had to overcome to be where you are today? Well, uh, I mean, I will say I'm not surprised by that statistic because, uh, you know, we did definitely evolve to be warriors. The people who were not warriors did not make it off of, uh, uh, wherever we in, in pre-civilized times right. a long time ago when we're all around campfires and living in caves uh like the, the the person who was carefree did not survive right so like we we are descended from warriors and we will always be warriors and i think negative thoughts are are our our survival mechanism they're mm. a watch out now look out be careful um and so for me they're helpful often because what I'll think about is that script is not working. It's not very good. Um, you know, that appearance where you were trying to make a point about X, Y, or Z, it didn't land. It didn't work. Um, I think that kind of, it's not negativity. It's sort of self-criticism and it's mm. not, it's being, it's humility. Uh, it's realizing that maybe it's not as good because you have to remember that like the TV business, because it is so, it's a vulnerable business. You're out there. Uh, it's not only your work, but it's you. It's literally you out there. Mm -hmm. um, I think people people are vulnerable. Uh, and so there's a lot of like, good job, great job, wonderful job today. You did great. That was wonderful. We loved it. Everyone will tell you that. And mm. There's a reason why. But you have to re remember that, yeah, well, was it really that good? I don't know. Um, mm. it, it, you're, you're in danger of everyone telling you great job until the day you're fired for actually not doing a great job. Uh, so, so there, there's a, there's a part of me that is always ruminating on how, how it went, how it's going and how it can be better. And I don't actually don't, that's a, it's a critical thought, but not a negative thought, which I think is an mm -hmm. important distinction. Mm -hmm. Uh, the negative thoughts that I think are unhelpful are they're, they're, their thoughts about, I think they're the thoughts we all have about like feeling like a fraud, feeling like, uh, you know, you're undeserving, feeling like you're going to be found out, uh, feeling like um, you don't fit the mold. Uh, and I try to clear those out. Uh, but like, as the week goes on and you have less sleep, mm -hmm. it's amazing how sleep is tied to just uh, fitness in all ways, like mental fitness, physical fitness, like you're, there's something about being fatigued that makes it harder to, to block out sort of these undermining self thoughts. Um, yeah. so yeah, the, the, I think I have, I have the classic case of imposter syndrome that a lot of people have. And I think it's interesting to hear you say that. And, and I think that 
refreshing at the same time, because we're, we all kind of go through this, right? And it's about how do we, especially with social media and like see in comparison and like, you know, am I as good as this or am I, you know, there's just this yeah. like all around our whole society. So it's like learning how to just transcend those and, and realize that like, it's what makes us human, but it doesn't define us, you know? So, yeah. 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 And, and your, your self thoughts can be very wrong, right? Like every, every thought is not a good thought. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and lastly, so it, this show, we talk a lot about just the energy. I think creation is energy is creation. And so it's the energy that we put into our work, into our business and to our families that can create the vision for our life. And so I'm curious what is in your heart, you know, in terms of what you're, you've, you've done a lot of things. And again, as we've talked about, it's really cool to see you on the the morning show every day. And I believe you have a new, is it called uplift? Right. Your new yeah, series. Well, yeah, is that right? well, we do. Yeah, yeah. So we have like we have a uh, every day now uh, in the beginning of the eight o'clock hour, we have a little uplift segment, which is like the uplift brand. Uh, and usually my colleague Vlad does that one. But then I do a whole 30 minute like collection of the uplift uh, moments um, for our streaming uh, uh, service, just CBS News uh, streaming. Um yeah. And that just so, started right saying, in February, I yeah. believe. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Cause yeah. I saw that. And that's so cool because again, like the, the intention of this podcast is really to help inspire people and to, you know, help them see themselves maybe in a different light and see their lives in a different light that, you know, we all have gifts and talents and abilities. And it's just about discovering what those are and then being able to create something with those in the world and create big impact. Right. So, um, so I love that, you know, you're, you're doing that series and, and putting sometimes the media gets a wrap for, you know, creating a lot of negativity. So, you know, having yeah. a positive spin and being able to really lift people up, I think is so powerful, even, you know, especially now. Um, yeah. but, but going back, you know, just to see, you know, what's, what is some, what's your next big vision? Do you have, what do you see for your family, your career, and what's in your heart about what you want to create? Oh, I mean, I'm not sure because, uh, you know, the job that I'm in is a dream job. Uh, it is a job I could do forever. Uh, and, you know, most people in the TV business, the reality is they don't get to decide when they leave. Someone else decides when they leave. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to keep doing this job for as long as they'll let me. Mm. Uh, and after that, I, I still have that original love of writing, uh, not just writing for TV, not just writing for, for my voice or for, uh, you know, not just writing for my voice, but, but, you know, there's something, there is something, uh, I mean, you know, there's a reason why, how to put it, there's, I've written a memoir. It was okay. I would change a lot of things. Uh, but I love, I love the idea that it's in the library of Congress. It has a number. It exists. It, as long as we have, as long as we're around as a country with a government, we'll have a library of Congress and that book will be in there. Um, and Very it's a cool. nice feeling to feel like you've contributed to the, I don't know, to the uh, creation of, of, of 
I don't know, this ongoing endeavor here on planet earth. Um, I used to love that about the old Newsweek. You know, you'd have a weekly edition, you'd write articles, you'd edit articles, and then they would go into these giant databases. And I used to try to think about the future historian long after we're all gone, who's trying to remember, like, what was it like when, what was it like, I'm trying to think of an example that's not, uh, doesn't take us into a, like a sidetrack. You know, that craze around the the hidden treasure of Forrest Fenn, what was that moment like? And then like, like imagining this future sort of finding my work and, uh, and, and parsing it. Um, so I think what I would want to do is write a book. Um, mm. And I would, I would want to take what I learned in television and what I, I loved about writing and combine them so that it's a book that, that reads, that reads like the written voice, like, like the, like the human voice as opposed to so much writing feels like I'm now writing and you can see like the sweat on their brow and it, it you could never actually speak it. Mm. A conversational book about a topic. I don't, I'm not really sure. Um, mm. I'm interested if there's one thing that I'm very interested in that I don't know how I'd ever get into book form is um, we have a misconception in this country, on this planet, in this world, that we are very advanced, mm. that we have so much amazing technology and that we're capable of such incredible things. But it, when you drill down, you realize that it's all kind of a parlor trick and we don't understand the underlying the underlying uh, science of much of anything. And my favorite example of that is airplanes. I regret to inform you and your viewers and listeners that we don't know how airplanes fly. We know, we know that, that it works. We know it works. But nobody has come up with an airtight theory and or formula for how the lift, talk about uplift, that keeps a, a jet in the air actually keeps a jet in the air. There are theories, but none of the theories explain the whole. So that's my example of like, we don't really, <laughs> so there's a whole lab at NYU where they do fluid dynamics and they are trying to still work out both big questions that are way far out in advance and fundamental questions like, why does the, where does the lift come from? Like there's right. a, there's the airfoil theory, but that doesn't actually give you enough lift to lift a jet liner. So like, and also if the airfoil theory, this, but like the one theory they have is that the, the air changes the trajectory around the wing and that creates a lift, which it does. But then how come planes can fly upside down? doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, like interesting. They, don't, they don't really know. <laughs> Right, right. That, you know, it is interesting. And I think the other thing that I think sometimes, because I have a, a lot of friends that are doctors and sometimes like they'll like, you know, and I think in our world, not to go too off topic, but like, you know, we think, gosh, they're, they know everything because they know the human body. Right. But like a lot of times they'll be like, well, I think it's this, like, I'm guessing, yeah, yeah. I think, right. Sleep, like everything's sleep is just a great a, one. Right. Exactly. It's like, like we, what, what is, what is, what is the feeling as a person who works on a morning show and doesn't get enough sleep, the feeling of being refreshed in the morning, what is that actually in the cell? What is, do you have a battery? Is it, you know, is it now like a full green bar? What is it, what is actually happening? No, right. that is not something that is well understood. Yeah. Um, and then like within the brain, uh, you know, we're having thoughts now we're, we're moving, we're talking how a neuron speaks or communicates with another neuron to make your thoughts into movements, no one has any idea. So like, 
we, and, and then the other thing is like, you, you have to remember that like the, the airwaves out there that we are now using to communicate now, uh, we, that it was not discovered. Uh, it was like 150 years ago. It was not that long ago. It, it right. pulled, we did, like the air around us may contain still more. So I just, I think there's something in the idea that we think we're an advanced people. And I don't think we are. <laughs> I think we're actually really not. <laughs> so. Well, ever evolving, ever growing. Yeah. Right. Um, and last, last question for you. And I don't know. I mean, I know that you're, you are up very early in the morning, so you may not have something like this, but I'm curious, like, what do you do for inspiration for your own inspiration? Like if you needed to get really creative about something, do you have a process that you use or I go to a thing. I go to a, uh, I go to, I go to a, an exercise class called F45, which is like, (laughs) it's, it's cross training. It's one of these, you know, you go to the gym and there's, there's a big video screen and there's like 15 people and everyone just follows the exercises on the screen. It's super kooky, uh, but it's a good workout. It's only 45 minutes. And I find that getting back into your physical body is really good for helping your uh, intellectual muscles work as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Do you bring a book or a journal or anything like so you can write down things afterwards or do you put it in your phone? No, no, I don't. But, but, but it, it I mean, I, I will, I will type something out on notes mode on my phone if it occurs to me, but um, I don't, I, I think a trick that I've learned is that to, to, when you're ruminating on something uh, and the thoughts start coming, don't break the spell by starting to write it all down. Like you gotta just be with it for a little while. So for, that's why 45 minutes is a good amount of time. So if, if I start having ideas at like 15 minutes, I just keep, keep going through the workout and see where I am at the end. Oh, cool. So, Love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation and I really so appreciate your time. And as I said before, it's just really fun to see you again and, yeah, you know, connect you as well. Yeah. Good luck with the move. Oh, thank you. Yes. We are. Yeah. And the build. And <laughs> so, well, we may have to move two more times before our house is ready, but we'll see. So uh. it's yeah. A little crazy, but, um, but again, so nice to connect with you and, you know, for any of our listeners that, um, that want to connect with you deeper or see more like obviously they can tune in every morning at CBS to see you. Um, what are some other ways that people can follow you in your work? Uh, I mean, you can follow me on social media. I don't tweet a whole lot. Um, I think there's enough tweeting going on. Uh, but you know, I have an open direct message, uh, on Twitter. You can send me notes that way. Um, you can do the same on Instagram. I'm more active on Instagram uh, but it's, it's still kind of infrequent. I call me old fashioned, but I always feel like I already work for a media company and I want to work for Instagram and Twitter also. Like, so I just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I do read the messages. If people write stuff in there, I do, I do read the messages. Oh, so that's cool. You, you call you, you, you made the grave error of calling me a celebrity earlier today. <laughs> I, I'm the, you're definitely not a celebrity if you're still reading your DMS on Twitter. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, Harry, no. Harry Styles is not, you know, Harry Styles is not reading his DMs on Instagram. <laughs> well, it's, it's, is super sweet to see you and your wife, Katie, and like the cute things that you, you know, share with each other on Instagram and follow you that way. So, I mean, 
it's just, again, a real treat to see you and shining in so many ways. And the story continues to unfold. So um, congratulations. It's been a great pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on and great questions. And, um, you know, it's Friday. So your, your, your listeners should know that I'm extra kooky on Fridays because it's a cumulative lack of sleep. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. Loved being here with you today and would love to connect with you more over on Instagram. My handle is linked to the show notes, or you can just type in at Kara Chafin Donna Frio. And I have something special for you as a free gift, my dynamic life journal. This special book has the power to really help you live a soul inspired life. Go to free gift from Easy to remember free gift from Until next time, beautiful people, sending all my love.